The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, we look ahead to the last bit of league until Boxing Day. We talk up Burnley Blackburn, the Cotton Mill Derby. We say backups ahoy in round three of the Cosplay Cup, sorry, Carabao. And Madison, let's be avenue. We marvel at the England squad. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Thursday the 10th of November, listener, the last normal week of the year in football terms. And I'm joined here by Duncan Alexander and fresh from the first leg of the Football Clichés European Tour, it is Charlie Ecrochet. Hello. 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 The applause still ringing in your ears, is it, Charlie? Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, what a come down yesterday was, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, still buzzing. Uh, Duncan and Charlie then with us, also kind of due to be with us, but having a bit of an issue right now is Lindsay Hooper. We can go to her live on the M25. Lindsay. Oh, my gosh. I've actually not long ago left the M25 to try and take a back route through Heathrow, but after being in traffic for an hour due to the just oil protesters for a fourth consecutive day. uh, James, I actually was feeling quite smug because... I missed this on Monday. Um, I was due to be driving and get caught in it on Monday, but I decided to drive back on Sunday night. And I thought, that's it. I've avoided them, but they've got me today. I'm I'm excited because uh, previously the protests have been just stop oil, but you've been held up by just oil, which is presumably big oil's (laughs) (laughs) counter-offensive. Let's bring in as much petroleum as possible. It's A detour through Heathrow sounds very GTA 5 as well. I hope you don't get four stars. I do feel very sorry as well for all the police because as I've come through Heathrow, there are police on nearly every bridge to try and stop anything happening. Probably to try and arrest any journalists they see. Be careful, Lindsay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. No, not at all, not at all. Well, hopefully we'll, 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 we'll catch up with you later on. And, and, and I hope, um, you know, a, a massive inconvenience to you. And, and I'm sure there are people with even well, far more serious things they're trying to get to. But uh, I don't think anyone can deny that the intent of those protests is, I think, in, in, in everyone's interest. Uh, I don't want to be controversial on that. But mm. anyway. I'm, I'm struggling to see that right now, James. I, I, can, yeah. I can imagine, Lindsay. But big picture here, yeah? Okay, okay. Mm. All right, then. Uh, excellent. Well, hopefully we'll catch up with you later on if you can, you can join us before... Charlie and Duncan have, you know, run through all the, the weekend's fixtures and that. Want to hear you about Wolves? Yeah, I'll join just for Wolves at the end, OK. Yeah, perfect. Thank you, Lindsay. Best of luck. And with that, she was gone. All right. Well, it is a big day. Aside from the Just Oil uh, process on the M25, there's also the ooh, England squad announcement, 2 p.m. Hasn't happened quite yet, but we're going to incorporate that as soon as we can. We've also had a full midweek of... League Cup action. Charlie, you once wrote about how we need to scrap the League Cup like they have in mm. France. Has this week changed your mind? Yeah, not massively. I've got to say, sometimes you write things that then date really badly. I mean, I've had that many, many a time. But this piece was sort of why it's time to admit defeat and abolish the League Cup. This was in January 2017. And actually, the uh, Accrington Stanley chairman, Andy Holt, quote tweeted it and said something like, you know, why Charlie Eccleshen needs to be fired. And we had a bit of back and forth. Has that dated badly? Uh, well, 
and then I ghosted a piece for him on sort of why actually the League Cup is very important to clubs like his, uh, you know, it can offer a financial lifeline, which I get, but I, and I think, you know, that I suppose is why it is important it stays. But I do think it's just so the preserve of the biggest clubs, you know, Man City win it year after year, humble Liverpool, you know, broke that trend last year and everyone just rotates so massively. It's just that City and Liverpool have the biggest squads um, and we saw that again this week so and I think a lot of teams who went out weren't exactly devastated to be out of it so um, yeah I'm, I'm not hugely enamoured with the League Cup I must say Charlie get on the M25 with a just stop League Cup <laughs> <laughs> I think on the Man City point is that Pep Guardiola takes it really seriously for some reason and they just win it every- I mean obviously Liverpool won it last year and and so on, but it did feel this week did feel like um, with all those London teams going out, it felt like the football equivalent of of thinking of running for a tube door shutting, but then going, nah, I can't, I can't be bothered. <laughs> wait, I wait for the next one. So, um, so yeah. Wow, I'm one of those scurrying for the closing doors were Spurs, who got beaten by Nottingham Forest, Arsenal, who were defeated by Brighton, Chelsea, who were. The plucky side who saw their run end at the hands of Manchester City. West Ham, as we'll be touching on later on, at the hands of, hello, Blackburn Rovers, Charlie. No, but I mean, even West, even City, just on how seriously they take it, they still make loads of changes. It's just that they it appears more serious when the players you're bringing in are of the quality of Jack Grealish, Riyad Mahrez, uh, and that level. Mm, I hear you. Okay, well, well, we'll touch on some of the League Cup results as the show goes on. Among the big questions ahead of what is match day 16, can Arsenal be Christmas number one? They go to Wolves Saturday tea time. Arsenal are currently two points ahead of Man City, but may well be behind when they take the field at Molyneux because Man City are facing Brentford. who have the worst away record in the Premier League. Haven't won a single game on the road yet this season. Further down... Newcastle in third hosts one of the top four sides they've usurped, Chelsea, while another of them, Man United, visit Fulham on the Sunday. Potential upset factor high. Also on Sunday, there's uh, Brighton Aston Villa at the Amex in the spunky new manager derby. Saints beginning life after Hasenhutl, with Nathan Jones set to be in charge at Anfield that Saturday afternoon, while Spurs host Leeds in a match which will probably see them both losing at half-time. Will be interesting. Uh, plus, there's all sorts of tough-looking games down the bottom end, West Ham, Leicester City. Ooh, and particularly, the two sides who are currently immediately above the bottom three, Bournemouth and Everton, meeting at the Vitality Stadium. Ooh, meeting indeed for the second time this week. Bournemouth beating Everton midweek in that League Cup 4-1. Duncan, you've, you've run all these fixtures, these Premier League fixtures, through a machine, I know. Yes. What did, what did the machine spit back at you? Uh, well, it's giving, unsurprisingly, Manchester City a big chance of beating Brentford. Uh, shock, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, there's some there's some pretty close close games this week. I think, I mean, as you as you hinted at at the few minutes ago, um, it'll be interesting to see just how full pelt helter skelter Premier League this is, with basically a an unprecedented situation of. of players a week away, who England players at least, um, a week away from playing in a World Cup first match. So um, I actually had a look at some numbers of like the final match day for the last few World Cups. 
um, to see if there's any correlation if it did drop. Like, you know, it's sort of a tacit agreement amongst players that, come on, we know there's a World Cup coming, even though we also remember Wayne Rooney once wore longer studs to try and injure some Chelsea players um, and did his man a tassel. But yeah, there's absolutely no correlation. All there is is that tackles and fouls have steadily gone down over the last sort of 12 years. So, Do you think we'd even be able to pick up on... It would be such an imperceptible difference, I think, to most people you know you're not gonna have people just like strolling around and yeah yeah. no no by all means like even the players might not it would be so unconscious I think if they were to do it I really think when players are playing these games Hmm. yeah I do like it is a cliche but I do think it could have been happening for weeks in fact Charlie and we just don't know well, I think well, some I think, players I think might have done, yeah. Some, well, I think fans, if their teams haven't been winning, I think disproportionately mm. have felt their players have checked out, you know, in a sense that, that their players haven't really been trying. I think the the free radical nature of it is the players who aren't going to the World Cup, who are going to, this is their last game, you know, before mm. a nice little break. So if Haaland's fit for City, Mo Salah for Liverpool, there's going to be some, you know, Salah's got a really good home record against Southampton. Mm. He might, he might do something extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, let's see. I hear you. All right. Well, let's talk about some of these games in greater depth. I had a Wolves Arsenal earmarked uh, for our opening opening chat because Lindsay, but she won't be with us till later on. So maybe we'll stuff that in a corner. Man City Brentford looks pretty cut and dried as much as any game in our league can be. City have won 16 home games in a row now in all competitions, while Brentford have won none games on the road this season. And indeed, on Tuesday, were knocked out of the Carabao Cup by the lowest-scoring team in English football. Hello, Gillingham of League Two, who beat them on penalties at the GTEC Community Stadium. Brentford had 81% possession. Crikey. All right. That was an actual genuine shock, that game, because Gillingham, as you say, do struggle in front of goal. So Right. And it was a strong Brentford lineup. Ivan Tony was in it. Yeah, he missed last week, didn't he? He was suspended, so I guess felt he was fresh enough. And I mean, that is big for them to have a chance. I, I thought, you know, if, if he were out, then you really would be questioning how they get anything. I still, obviously, City's still massive favourites, and you'd imagine Brentford might have about the opposite amount of possession in that game. But um, yeah, it's possible. Edison's going for his 150th uh, Premier League win in his what would be his 196th game, so he'd be the first Oof. player to get to 150 before playing 200, which is pretty good, but might not be enough to earn him a, a World Cup place in the team. Sounded right, like. starting place, yeah, indeed. Mm. Indeed so, certainly in the squad. Uh, meanwhile, all right, well, that's Man City-Brentford. On optics, I do think Haaland needs to score a couple of goals here because I think if we get to the restart of Boxing Day and he's on 18 goals, yeah, that sounds quite good. But it's not as good as it was sounding in kind of September, October. So I think if he can get two in this game, at least get to 20 and overtake Michael Owen's best of total in a, in a Premier League season, then I think... Get that monkey off his back. Yeah, yeah. All right. Other big tactical questions this weekend include what will happen when Newcastle face Chelsea in the 3rd v 7th but not the way round you would have expected Classico uh, this <laughs> game just it's just over a year since they met last at St James's Park back then Chelsea were top of the table and Newcastle were 19th they are the most improved side in the Premier League 20 points better off than they were at this point last campaign they've only lost one Premier League match at St James's Park in all this calendar year 
They've got Miguel Amiron on fire, literally. And Chelsea, in contrast, are not enjoying anything like the same run of form. What do you think? Well, it's nice of the fixtures to throw up Eddie Howe against Graham Potter just before the uh, the World Cup. Obviously, in a different world, they might have been eyeing up, um, you know, succeeding Gareth Southgate at some point. But I think this game is basically about making sure Kieran Trippier doesn't get injured um, because he's obviously a, a key player for for Newcastle, but also for England. So, um, you know, and obviously with the news that Rhys James is, is definitely yeah. out as well. So, yeah, I think Trippier's sort of the importance of Trippier has been like one of those blue Petra pills that steadily climb throughout the autumn. So, um, yeah, let's hope he, he does all right. Yeah, well, Chelsea have lost two wingbacks. I mean, two England wingbacks, haven't mm. they? Chilwell and James uh this is a really interesting game I mean Newcastle this feels like the kind of um they've been playing really well and obviously they went to Spurs and won that this is a this is a really big test for them I mean I thought Chelsea were really bad in the defeat against Arsenal and you know they they look like they need this sort of World Cup reset obviously with Potter having come in midway through the season uh etc but it is a big game for them I mean they they do risk getting cut adrift a little bit. I know it's, it's very early and, you know, Newcastle, there's still a lot of unknowns with them. But you'd think with Newcastle, if they're kind of hovering around the top four in January, then they their owners might just think, well, you know, if we put in a bit here, we, st- we really have a chance at Champions League football. Chelsea currently lying seventh. They are five points off the top four, although they do have a game in hand on fourth place Spurs who are obviously having a bit of a wobble themselves it's an interesting question that because a I think you know I think this transfer window might be mad given it comes straight after a world cup where often you get players that impress that maybe aren't highly suitable for our league etc but has just yeah but also Newcastle you know they are in a really good position they're playing really well and a lot of the players that Eddie Howe inherited are playing really well like you know, mm. Miguel Almiron obviously and you wonder whether he would want to upset that balance you know is it better to kind of carry on this season with what he's got but then risk what Arsenal did last year and maybe fall away at the end or bring in someone that might transform the squad even further or could be the new Tino Espria who I, I was just still yeah, yeah we were all just waiting to well, get in there I still <laughs> maintain that you know yeah. he had the most assists of any player in his first 10 games in that season. So, you know, he he did all right. I think Darren Peacock's got to hold his hands up at some point. <laughs> they also didn't have, like, loads... Of, I mean, I guess it's slightly anachronistic because back then there wasn't rotation in the same way, but they didn't have, like, tons of attacking players in the way that I, you kind of think that it's like, a spree to that stable of attackers. <laughs> it was kind of like Ferdinand and Beardsley. And I know Ginola yeah. and Gillespie, but it wasn't, like, completely overloaded. They also, as you'll know, they didn't score loads that season. no. A very overstated. Think, so yeah. Yeah. We've mm. really gone deep into that. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like Interesting. Interesting. Uh, this side, though, very much the heirs to that entertaining uh, Keegan side. Chelsea going out against Man City, just back on that League Cup for a second. What do you make of the fact that Charlton are the last London club left in the competition? Uh, I think it's a quirk. <laughs> it's good I don't think for it South East London's a, a, football supporting community. A power shift in the capital. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's... In, I mean, with Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, who typically kind of inhabit that same part of the league, I don't... 
I don't think any of them would have been massively envious if they'd gone out and you know one of the, those rivals had stayed in because I think for all of them those are some quite useful midweeks right. uh, to prepare for big league games. Particularly this season. I, I called it the Cosplay Cup before, but you could just as easily call it the Not Now League Cup. Yeah, please, <laughs> later. I'll deal with you later uh, next season. But a lot of people haven't realised that people are focusing on the Premier League coming back on Boxing Day, but there's mm. League Cup games the week before yeah. Christmas. Like what? the day after the World Cup final. So, You're kidding. Uh, I want someone to play in the World Cup final and then a League Cup fourth round game in consecutive days. That is Harry Kane could, could you know could have led England to the World Cup and then a few <laughs> days later be like, "You okay for Gillingham away, Harry?" Is that, you know, it's like it's, it's insane. Yeah. And well, Gillingham, yeah, very much in the pot for the fourth round of the uh, of this competition, which will be taking place. You're saying, Duncan, on Tuesday the twentieth, Wednesday the twenty first. Of and December maybe Thursday as well, yeah. And Thursday and the twenty second, the World Cup finals on the eighteenth. Wow. For um, for Gillingham and a few other clubs, Charlton, mm. mm-hmm. the League One, League Two are carrying on, so they'll be they'll be fighting fit and ready. So maybe right. some more upsets, more very, football very before possibly. Christmas. Just just what we need. Okay, to sum up then, League Cup. Wow, and Chelsea need <laughs> a win at Newcastle. Uh, next up. Let's uh, touch on some big stories from midweek on the continent, you know, briefly, and then more of your tip-top Premier League weekend fixtures. Hi, I'm Adam Crafton, and I'm the host of The Athletic's new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, I'll never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. Travelling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about to show that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him here. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. There were midweek rounds all over the continent. Italy, Napoli moved eight points clear of Milan because they won and Milan didn't. Bayern, who only just regained the lead in the Bundesliga at the weekend, are now four points clear of Union Berlin after they had a 6-1 win over Werder Bremen as they can murder Werder. And by the way, there were a lot of reports about Sadio Mane, who went off injured in that game, missing the World Cup as a consequence. However, the exciting news on Thursday is that Senegal have called him up anyway, so presumably they've had better news about his prospects. And that really is uh, very good tidings indeed. In La Liga, meanwhile, Barcelona are now five points clear of Real Madrid at the top of uh, Spain's top division. Real Madrid play uh, Thursday evening, though, so that might close back up a bit. Barcelona enjoying a 2-1 victory away. Osasuna 
in what was supposed to be, after Saturday's emotional Camp Nou farewell, Gerard Piquet's final appearance for the Blaugrana. But it never happened. Why? Because he got sent off while still on the bench for remonstrating with the officials at half-time. I say remonstrating, but he said, I sh** on your prostitute mother to the official. And you, you can't say anything these days. <laughs> the Throwing woke brigade. Jail, yeah. He got, yeah. Uh, he got shown a red. That's a disastrous... Good way to go out, to be fair. Is it a good way? It's quite Zidane-esque, I suppose. Yeah. Gerard Piquet, many more thoughts on his career on and off the field in Tuesday's Euro Totally Football Show. Look out for that one. Uh, very shortly, we'll be getting Charlie and Duncan's thoughts on the England team. But before that, big priority, Bournemouth-Everton chat. Bournemouth-Everton, everybody. They are 17th and 16th right now, one and two points above the bottom three, and facing each other this weekend in an instant rematch of Tuesday's Carabao Cup clash. One, as we mentioned before, by Bournemouth 4-1. That was their first win, Bournemouth, in six games. Charlie, you, you suggested before that no one at this point would really be that unhappy about going out of the cup. But maybe would Everton fans would like to have had a go at this one? But Yeah, I mean, maybe. But I think this is quite a good example. I mean, you had Bournemouth against Everton um, and Bournemouth made nine changes that game. Uh, Everton made 11. Yeah, I mean, Everton, I would say, are, in my mind, the kind of club who should be going, if anyone should be going for the League Cup other than, you know, City and the biggest teams. Because... I kind of view them as... I don't think they'll get relegated. I also don't think they have a massively high ceiling this season. So, you know, going for the League Cup could be the difference between coming 15th, 16th and 11th, 12th. To me, that would feel like a trade-off worth making, but maybe I'm being overly harsh or uh, overly generous. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're in a strange position, Everton, because, you know, obviously it felt like they'd turn that corner and then they just sort of turned back round the same corner and a kind of where they were. Um, so, yeah. Like the M25, big orbital road. Duncan, you say that 2-0 is not a dangerous lead, huh? Mm. I knew you were going to bring this up. Tell that yeah. to the Cherries, right? Well, they're the first team in Premier League history to, to lose two games in a row from being 2-0 up, or two goals up. So... I mean, Michael Cox should just move to Bournemouth, shouldn't he, and, and parade around so uh, and take all the plaudits. But, um, yeah, I mean, for me, this fixture is the Sylvain Distan Classico. Um, obviously, played for both teams, and it's quite neat in this week before the World Cup because he famously didn't, didn't get any caps for France. I always thought he moved to Bournemouth to try and get as near to France as he could. But um, he also <laughs> he did a really good tweet when he... Uh, a few years ago when he said, I'm retiring from the France team. It was a wonderful experience and after a record of zero caps, it's time to say goodbye and focus <laughs> on my club. Just good banter for a professional footballer. That's good. Yeah. That's excellent. Bournemouth 4-1 winners. Have we mentioned it yet? We have now against Everton in midweek. Uh, some very, very fine goals actually in that. Jamal Lowe, Junior Stanislav, Emiliano Marcondes and Jaden Anthony for the Cherries who look up for it. And they need to be. Because, as I say, they are right down there on the edge of the drop. Is that the biggest game this weekend? It's a big one. Possibly. I mean, I'd say Mm. Newcastle-Chelsea. But there isn't a kind of blockbuster to send us off the World Cup. You Um, say that, Charlie. But there might just be, outside the Premier League, in a little place called East Lancashire. Yep, East Lancashire, everybody. 
where this weekend it's going to be Burnley-Blackburn, the East Lancashire derby, the Cotton Mills derby. Burnley facing Blackburn for the first time in over five years. Not only that, but they are one and two right now in the Championship. These two teams, just 11 miles apart, both bidding to get back into the Premier League. Well, a huge game in prospect. And joining us now to tell us more about that, Nancy Frostick. You write on the EFL for theathletic.com. How excited are you about this weekend's game? Uh, very. I mean, everyone loves a, a derby for one and then a top of the table uh, battle. So, um, yeah, it should be a good one. And, you know, two pretty interesting teams uh, aside from all that context. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle. It is exciting to see uh, Blackburn Rovers poised to make their return to the top flight, potentially, for, for the first time since 2012 when they began their venky led descent to the depths all the way down to... League One at one point, of course. Uh, are the Venkis still in charge, Nancy? They are indeed, yeah, yeah. How is their predicament otherwise? Um, I think in the last few years, you know, speaking broadly here, fans have kind of come around to Venkis kind of doing things a bit better than they than they initially did. Um, obviously, this season they've got a new manager, John Dahl Thomason, who is, you know, a fascinating appointment anyway, but... Um, Last season and this season, there have been some really promising signs on the pitch. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Ben Brereton-Diaz just because of his amazing story with um, being called up for Chile and going away with them at various points, uh, Copa America and other things. So, But last season, you know, they, they had a similar-ish start, maybe not quite as good, but they, you know, they were definitely sort of around the top three, I think, going into Christmas. And then it just sort of tailed off towards the end of the season under Tony Mowbray and then that kind of just came to a an actual conclusion I think between between the club and, and Mowbray had been there for a while um, obviously he's at Sunderland now so for them to kind of bounce back not that it ended really badly or anything but it's never a given in the championship that you'll kind of be able to ca- carry anything over it's been interesting to see and um, they've got some really exciting players so they've actually got more wins than Burnley as well this season so I kind of fancy them to just um, smash and grab a, a result but you never know. You, you you don't, especially in a derby course. John Dal Thomason, who was managing in the Champions League at this time last season, has been doing wonders then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went over to watch a game at Ewood Park a couple of weeks ago. They played Millwall and they actually lost that game. But you could see a lot of what he was trying to do and a lot of kind of... The basics or the ideas were there, but it kind of wasn't quite coming off in terms of the link up with the players and Tyree Stolen was brilliant that day. Um, and he's just such an exciting player for them, as well as, as Ben Brereton Diaz. So you could kind of see what could happen. And then it seems since I went, um, <laughs> they've kind of, yeah, massively made that work. And, and um, they've just just got a lot of players who, who um, you know, Brereton Diaz, Dolan, uh, Gallagher, all a threat up front, but also just quite a steady foundation. They were trying to play out from the back and um, it wasn't working every time, but I think there's probably that confidence now um, after you know a bit of time doing it that that's kind of something they can do. So it's an interesting move for him as a manager and seems to be paying off. Brilliant. I think it was it five wins in six, I think, uh, that, that they've had coming into this weekend's matchup. Uh, and, and in the League Cup midweek, they travelled down to West Ham both teams making massive uh, changes to their lineups. 
uh, as per usual. The difference being that West Ham's B team is, is is the same one they've been running in the in the Europa Conference League, and which which topped the group. So it was pretty remarkable to see uh, Blackburn picking up a win there. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those funny ones, really, where you you kind of never know quite how Premier League teams are approaching it and whether, you know, like you say, if they put their B team out, it could still be a team good enough to, to go far in in any competition. But it's probably a measure of kind of where Blackburn are at in terms of, you know, I'm not saying that they could necessarily stroll into the Premier League as they are and, and win week in, week out, but um, they've definitely got that kind of top-end performance within them. Um, and it'd be quite good to see how they manage that if they are able to keep um, you know going in the cup how you then balance that with a, a promotion push because I think quite often you can see championship teams kind of happy to maybe not against a Premier League opponent but if they came up against someone lower down in the FA Cup or something you know they're sometimes almost happy to let it go because the, the priority is somewhere else so yeah a great result for them um, and a good performance. Absolutely. Burnley then this weekend. How have Burnley been since their relegation? And tell us about how Vincent Company's doing. Yeah, I think um, reading some of the, the stuff that um, my colleague Andy Jones, who's our Burnley writer, has been putting on the on the site at The Athletic, I, I get the impression they're maybe slightly ahead of um, schedule, if there is such a thing as a schedule um, for a new manager. And, you know, when we when we think, think of Burnley, obviously, uh, in recent years, Sean Dyche's style of play and hopefully isn't unfair to call it pragmatic or, or whatever, um, kind of springs to mind. And, and you know, Vincent Company's done something quite different and very possession-based now. So they've got a lot of younger players, a lot of exciting players. So it's been quite an interesting evolution for them, actually. And, yeah, I, I mean, I put them down as one of my teams that I think will get promotion and probably will get automatic promotion. But they had a bit of a rocky start and now they seem to have just, yeah, hit a really good patch. And, and like I say, it's, it is interesting because um, they're obviously two points ahead of Blackburn, but um, they've got two less wins than Blackburn, but Blackburn haven't drawn any a single game this season. So it's kind mm. of, that's the <laughs> the slight difference, I think, is uh, a few more draws. But um, yeah, they've got some, some great young players. Um, we've not seen a lot of Scott Twine yet, who joined from MK Dons in the summer, because he's, he's had a bit of an injury. So um, he's one that... I'd be really interested to see how he does with the the step up this season into the championship. And Nathan Teller, I think, has been doing well as well on loan from Southampton. Brilliant. Burnley, the highest scorers in the championship this season, as you say, slightly different to the old regime. 37 goals in 20 games. They did lose their last game, what was that, 5-2 against Sheffield United. Crikey. All right. Well, uh, Nancy, are you going to be going along to the game on Sunday? I'm not, unfortunately. I wish I was. Um, no, I've not got that. That's the hottest ticket in town and I've not got it. So, Excellent. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy it wherever you're seeing it from. And thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was an unexpected diversion from your Premier League weekend. But uh, Nancy Frostick, uh, excellent stuff. That's obviously the biggest game anywhere in Europe this weekend. What else is happening in the Premier League? How about this? That's right, listener, it is. Brackets, just like close brackets, are starting over by John Lennon, which was number one the last time Brighton won at home to Aston Villa, December 1980 which has done Jonathan Pierce's research for him for this weekend. 
Lovely bit of music that from, uh, you know, one of the grades. Mm. And uh, well, how about this game then? And how appropriate that track is for this clash. Starting over, they've both got newish managers. Mm. Yeah, they'd both like to imagine getting in the top six, <laughs> etc. and so on. Yeah. Villa, I see, have yet to win away from home in the Premier League this season. However, they've now got Unai Emery in. And as we saw last week against, against Man United, he cares not one jot for long-running absences of victories after that. That uh, win against Man United decades in the in the making. Uh, meanwhile, De Zerbi with Brighton. What a transformation for this previously goal-shy team. They put three past Liverpool at Anfield. They beat Chelsea by four. And midweek, they scored three against Arsenal. What a lot of fun they are. Yeah, I mean, Brighton are in a strange position, obviously, in the sense that a manager's coming in midway through the season because his predecessor was doing too well, almost. You know, obviously, Graham Potter moving on to Chelsea. Unai Emery's in the more conventional position of firefighting, I suppose, and you know, picking up the bit of a mess that Steven Gerrard left behind. I mean, I do wonder the extent to which Deserbi when he came in was just kind of like, yeah, just just keep doing what you're doing, really. You know, uh, Im- imagine what Graham Potter might say. But, but that's maybe a bit harsh, you know, I think, because they started, for all the fact they were scoring goals, like the three against Liverpool, they weren't really winning games at that point. But they have... Um, They've turned that round. Obviously, that Chelsea win was huge. Another good one in the League Cup, for what that's worth. Yesterday against Arsenal. Yeah, they, they look like they're in really good shape and that top six is a genuine possibility for them. I mean, the interesting thing about the midweek win for Brighton was that Danny Welbeck scored. A, became the first player to score at the Emirates for four different teams. And he's had the 10 shots on target in the Premier League this season without scoring. Um, the only person to do more than that is Solly March, another Brighton player. So it feels like De Zerbe is slowly getting some more attacking threat out of out of the squad. And I think it was a penalty, though, wasn't it? To be fair, true, true. But you know, you, you know what strikers are like. Once the floodgates are opened, they uh, <laughs> it all pause. Well, the penalty didn't go in off his bum, though, unfortunately. So I, I mean, that would have been impressive if it had. But, um, so I don't know if that rule applies. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so it feels like Brighton are improving under De Zerbe, which is A, exciting for, for Brighton fans, and B, I would think very concerning for, for your Man United and your Chelsea's, who thought, right. oh no, we've got to deal with Newcastle, and maybe Brighton are in the mix as well. Well, particularly for Chelsea, who are currently beneath Brighton in the table on goal difference. Wouldn't it be funny if they ended the season, Graham Potter, hmm. below his old club? Woof. Same for Cucurella and... Various others, yeah. mm. who Chelsea have poached. Indeed so, indeed so. All right then, uh, that's Brighton Aston Villa. Now uh, Spurs Leeds coming up at three o'clock on Saturday. Spurs who have gone three home games without a win now, after a previously excellent run of form at home. Not only that, but also as we mentioned before, they lost two nil, a bottom of the table Nottingham Forest in the League Cup midweek. And this time, unlike many of the sides with their 9, 10, 11 changes, they put out a strong team, including a Harry Kane who, as Antonio Conte revealed afterwards, was so knackered that he had to sit out training on Tuesday. None of this sounds good. Kane in particular is the victims of all the injury Spurs have and have had in the attacking positions because Son's out, obviously. Richarlison and Kulisevsky have been out. They came on as subs um, against Forest, but they weren't ready to start. So Conte's point was that he 
you know, I think he would have, even he who has said how much he doesn't really like resting Kane and has shown that, I think he would have done. But the other options weren't really there. The, the encouraging thing is that while they did only make four changes, it may be that Kudusevsky and or are able to start. Kudusevsky, you'd hope, you know, he's come off off the bench down the last two games uh, and he makes such a difference to them. He really transforms the way they can play. He can actually... You know, link the midfield and attack, and he's he's very creative. Takes that burden off Kane, so that will be a thing to watch. And he's another one actually who, like Haaland, won't be playing at the World Cup. And you think that would be good news for Spurs? Mm. It's hard to beat someone with a worn-out Kane. You know, listen <laughs> from my school days. Uh, will Cresc- <laughs> Will Crescencio Somerville be featuring in the in the World Cup? He's surely playing his way into Van Hal's mind with the. Uh, with those late winners in, in, in consecutive weekends. All right. Not in the provisional squad, says producer Charlie. Anyway, it was more just a kind of minor segue to bring in the topic of Crescencio Somerville and what an extraordinary yeah. what an extraordinary factor he's proving to be in Jesse Marsh's uh, turnaround at Ellen Road. Yeah. Bamford's probably going to miss this game as well, I think, is the expectation. So uh, that goal-scoring burden will fall on, on Somerville. Again, I mean, it, this is a game where it's it's a strange one in a way because Spurs do keep going behind but do rally quite well. Um, and as you mentioned, Leeds themselves came back against Bournemouth last week. So both these teams, you'd imagine, would feel fairly comfortable about going behind. But that said, I think, you know, Conte sort of expressed his frustrations at the fact that the Spurs fans, um, some of them booed the team at halftime against Liverpool. And I think in his mind are quite quick to get on the team's back. So it will be interesting to see if, if they are to go behind, if they do go behind against Leeds, whether there's a sort of anticipation of, well, here comes another comeback or it's like, <laughs> we need to stop going behind because it is extraordinary. Mm. It keeps, keeps happening. Yeah. Could be ugly, ugly scenes at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We've just been joined by Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Lindsay. Oh, big sigh of relief. <laughs> Hello. Hello to you. Hello what have I you. missed? What have I missed? No, not, not Wolves, crucially. We saved not that. Not too much. And yeah, not Wolves. Well, Duncan, was there anything else you wanted to say about Spurs Lees before we introduce the big one, Wolves-Arsenal? Just that um, American managers have lost all four of their Premier League games against Tottenham, failing to score. And I th- always think that, I mean, this is a sweeping statement, but I think some American soccer fans support Spurs because it sounds quite American name. So San Antonio. You know, and obviously Spurs did sell a pitch to Leeds and there's an NFL pitch underneath the turf. So there's a lot of, I think there's tectonic plates of narrative coming together to mean that Ley lines. Mm. <laughs> they, they, are, they are big in the States. And there was a thing a few years ago, they had the most, po- I don't know how exactly they measure this, but the most popular player in each state in America. And obviously most of Messi Ronaldo. And then this complete outlier in Vermont, it was Deli Alley. <laughs> <laughs> so huge uh, following for Spurs in the States. I am intrigued by that. And I, I'm reminded of the time when Tony Dorigo won player of the season for Torino. And afterwards, an examination of call records from a, a, a village in Ireland <laughs> revealed that <laughs> the, the, the system had been massively played. I, I just wonder like what. A, hmm. That sort of like yeah paved the way for the Tony Adams Strictly heist mm. that's going on at the moment. Oh really? Is that now yeah, subject yeah. of inquiries? Oh, big time. I don't no think it's way. even an inquiry. I think everyone knows what's happening, but they're just sort of powerless to stop it. And I did see I can't remember which proper football man 
was bemoaning this and talking about kind of the integrity of the competition was being taken away. But I was I was really struck by it. Right. Lindsay, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that you've got uh, you've got to go and do television in about 10 minutes time. Is that right? Um, it, a little bit later than that. So you're okay. OK for a little bit. OK. What, what TV are you doing? I do a weekly chat about WSL on Sky Sports News on a Thursday morning. Excellent. All right. I was going to ask you about Wolves Arsenal because you're going to be there Saturday yeah. 7.45. That's late. The first time in quite a few seasons that I'm not chomping at the bit to get there. Oh. Um, Arsenal being top of the league. And they did the double over us last season. So right. having now got to new levels that we've seen this season under Arteta, it doesn't bode well, really, does it? It was a grudge match, wasn't it, last season? Mm. Both both games. Yeah, the celebration police. Lots right of forth. complaints, yeah. Neves was very vocal, wasn't he, about how they celebrated like it was a cup final. But yeah, like they'd won the league. And, you know, who knows? This, this time around, that's what they could be doing if they can continue to win matches like this. Wolves, though, there must be a, a strong kind of undercurrent of excitement because uh, Julian Lopetegui is going to be there watching from the stands uh, in, in prospect of taking over while the World Cup goes on. Yeah, I, he could have taken over for this one, but why would he want this result on his list? Really? <laughs> so he's just going to go watch... Um, and then, yeah, after the World Cup, the first game will be a Carabao Cup game after Wolves won midweek. Um, the one thing that I'd observe about Wolves at the moment, and, and I did the, the classic commentator's curse, I was at Blackburn at Ewood Park on Saturday talking about Wolves with a colleague. And he was like, you just don't have any goals, do you? And I said, no. I said, the problem is we've got players like Guides that came in who has a good shot on him but hasn't actually got a goal. And then 10 minutes later, he scored for Wolves on Saturday. And then we see in the Carabao Cup, Bubakar Traore curled a lovely shot in. So we are starting to get goals from different areas of the pitch, which we needed because we weren't getting them from any areas of the pitch. There is a huge debate as well about Jimenez and the fact that he was on the Mexico bench and hasn't played for us for a very long time. So there are grumblings, but Lopetegui is in. And we've got to be excited by that. I look at the appointments as well, James, that have gone on around us. And no, no disrespect, but Nathan Jones going to Southampton fills me with a bit more confidence for Wolves. I see. 19th Wolves lie at the moment, three points from safety. The prospect being, though, hopefully, from a Wolves perspective, that that's all going to turn around once the Lopetegui factor kicks in. Remarkable uh, appointment, I think. Would you say? Even the last World Cup, he was preparing to take mm. over at Real Madrid. Mm. Yeah, and I like that he's he's obviously got background with a few of the players. So he knows Adama Traore, he knows Johnny Otto um, from his time with Spain. Those are two players that he'll hopefully bring out the best in Traore. I think everybody's been trying to do that for, for many seasons. And then Ruben Neves, he gave him his debut at Porto. Mm -hmm. And he'll know what an absolute gem he's got in Neves. So Neves was one of the players actually in this dressing room that was very vocal about wanting Lopetegui in. I think, you know, there are encouraging signs. It's also early enough in the season, I think with this break for the World Cup, that it isn't all doom and gloom for Wolves. I don't think you can resign them to relegation just yet. Um, but of course, that has become a very real concern for Wolves fans. If the Premier League is the sort of super league for managers, the fact that like Emery and Lopetegui could be in a relegation battle is extraordinary, hmm. really, and you know shows the, 
the strength and depth, although, as, <laughs> as Lindsay pointed out, other clubs have made different decisions. So. Different decisions, indeed. Well, Steve Davis in charge then for this one, the Wolves fan who got to live the dream by managing the club he supports. What do you, what do you think his prospects, the team's prospects, are of upsetting an Arsenal side who are, <laughs> after 13 league games for them so far this season, off to their best start literally ever? I think we're relying on on Arsenal taking their eye off the ball somewhat in order to get something here. I think, you know, if there is a chance that a few players that are going to the World Cup aren't playing at 100% and playing at 90% instead, if there is the chance that that Wolves, knowing that Lopetegui will be in the crowd watching, that brings an extra factor in terms of performance from the Wolves squad wanting to impress the new man, um, then maybe a draw, James. (laughs) Maybe so. That's as confident I mean, as I'm feeling. Every team in the Premier League at home is going to have spells in a game where they're in it and they put pressure on. So can Arsenal go and stamp their authority? I mean, I, I have to say, though, with them, I did think that performance against Chelsea, for me, was their most impressive, most sort yeah, of City-Liverpool-like I've ever seen from them. They, they went and played the whole game in their opponent's half. And having the confidence and authority to do that, like that's how City and Liverpool have won leagues. And look, there's still a long, a long, long way to go. But that was the first time I thought that's a sustainable path to being at least in the conversation. I think the game was slightly, the, the way the analysis, I think because of the scoreline, because of the scrappiness of the goal, because of the weather even, it was billed as a kind of a show of Arsenal's character. I think it was actually more a show of their quality. And if it was they, game management, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, so yeah they just they could, yeah. yeah. I mean, Chelsea had what I think a point three xG or something at mm. home. It was it was they offered nothing, mm. and that's what City. You know, City do that. That I'm sure they've done it to Wolves on occasion before. They because they do it to everyone. They go and they just they completely uh, suffocate you. So it will be very interesting to see if though if Arsenal you know can back up that Chelsea win and go and do it one more time. As you say, Lindsay, with a bunch of those players, maybe. Um, you know, having a tiny bit of focus on the World Cup. I mean, yeah. on if Wolves do pull something off, just a little bit of hope for Arsenal. The last five times, because obviously if Arsenal win, they'll be top of the Premier League at Christmas. The last five times they've been top at Christmas, they haven't won the league. So They haven't? No. 1951, 86, 89, 02, 07. So, so maybe it's better that they, if, assuming City beat Brentford, that Arsenal draw this game right. and can... You know, go again. In the That'd be years. better all round, I think. <laughs> yeah. After this, we'll maybe mention one or two salient points about the other games on the way. There are some big ones. And get some thoughts on the England announcement and then let you get on with your day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Right then, today's the day the England squad is announced. Southgate's just released. It's vital that we get your hot takes on who he's, well, taking. Uh, let's see. Lindsay's not with us right now for a second or two. She'll be back in, in a moment. But what, what do you boys think? I think, yeah, the, the the main ones that jump out, obviously Ben White and James Madison were two that were borderline picks for, for varying reasons. I, and I think both, I would have found it very, very odd uh, if either of them hadn't got in. I think they're both having outstanding seasons. Um, and, you know, starting with White, I mean, I think that, that defence, for all the talk of, you know, having so many good right backs, uh, obviously the injury to Reese James and to Chilwell over on the other side on the left, I think does make that defence look a little bit questionable. And so having Ben White, who's been in brilliant form and is very versatile, I think that that felt like a no-brainer. And then Madison um, has been playing so well, but hasn't played for England for three years. And, you know, there's you know always been talk of, you know, tension between him and Southgate or Southgate not uh, thinking he's a good fit for the group or whatever it is. Um, but I think, you know, j- just on what we know, for him not mm. to go would have seemed extremely odd so I'm, I'm glad those two are in broadly speaking you're in favor of this squad then what what do you think Duncan yeah I agree really I mean I think the fact that it's 26 players gives you the option to add in a few of those people that probably wouldn't have got into the 23-man squad and it does feel maybe like Southgate's kind of gone well maybe I'm not as sure of myself as I would have been a year ago and I will take players like Trent and Madison because you know maybe they weren't his ideal fits for his team but they do offer something very different I think Madison obviously second most goal involvements in the Premier League this year behind um, of England players behind Harry Kane you know, he offers both shooting from distance um, and obviously chance creation in, in a in a different way to, to the other forwards in England squad they're, they're more system players he's more a little bit of an, an individual which is not really what Southgate wants but in a World Cup you know we've seen World Cup squads where a player goes as a sort of unfancied player or, or out of favour player and then plays themselves into the tournament. So I think that's positive. I'm, I'm pleased... Like who, that, for example? Um, well, you think back to 1990, you know, there, there were lots of... The, the first game there was the sort of standard Bobby Robson team, but then obviously the likes of, you know, David Platt played himself in. Um, 1998, Michael Owen obviously played himself into the team. So Trevor it, Sinclair in 2002? Yeah, with that little wasn't in, turn. Yeah, wasn't in the initial squad. Yeah, didn't he fly there and back and then back again? Or exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I'm pleased that Calvin Phillips in there. I know that obviously he's only played a couple of minutes in the Premier League this season, but he was so fundamental to England actually playing well when they were playing well. Mm. So I think that's if he can 
previous fitness, I think he might even start games straight away. Madison being in was one of the big questions. In other words, which striker would have been taken from the many options to kind of complement the established pack? And Callum Wilson winning that race. Sammy Abraham not called up, which I think is perhaps not all that surprising. Perhaps a bit more surprising, given the issues that you raised at the back, the fact that Smalling and Tomori didn't get a, a look in Smalling in particular, such a versatile and such a commanding presence. So it has been for, for Roma this season. I'm surprised that... I'm a little bit surprised about that. But to what extent do you think the fact that, say, for example, Conor Gallagher's in there, maybe one or two of the other surprising picks are a fruit of the fact that Southgate is arriving at this decision on the back of England's worst run in a very long time? What is it? They haven't won in six games and they lost three of those. Yeah, but then he has kept faith with guys like Cody and Maguire, who, I mean, Cody's been playing well for Everton, but I think a lot of people might feel that there are sort of more cultured options available. Harry Maguire doesn't get in the United team and you know if we're talking about pressure from outside there are a lot of people who uh, have an issue with Harry Maguire but he really believes in him and he's he's stuck with them so yeah I think there are some that feel a bit more like wildcard picks but he has there is also there are also a lot of kind of Southgate tried and tested lieutenants yeah I'm just I think there's potentially a little bit of um, weakness at the left side of defence I mean obviously Luke Shaw's there, but Chilwell's injured, as we mentioned earlier. And, and, you know, Kieran Trippier can play out there, but it's never pleasant seeing a right foot player at left back. So I think Maguire's the, the the strange one because he probably will start because Southgate is very invested in him. But, you know, any mistake or any kind of error he makes will be, will be leapt upon by pretty much everyone else. Meantime, uh, on the subject of the World Cup and the associated break, Sasu Haino says, which team, which club do you think is going to benefit most from the World Cup break? And which team will look the worst after the break? That's a broad and I think fascinating question. I don't know if it's a bit mean to spring it on you like this. I think Liverpool yeah, might I... benefit because obviously, you know, players like Jota and Luis Diaz have missed out, but you know, mm. getting close Salah to Salah won't be Salah, good, so, Salah yeah. will be fresh. Firmino didn't make it. Yeah, Firmino, Andy Robertson. Yeah. 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 Um, they can... But equally Man City. With Haaland. With Haaland, yeah. Because th- I think for Man City, if they can just get Haaland a break, which he will get, and mm. then rediscover the form that he showed scoring in consecutive matches again, then... I think they only—it's only about one player for them. It doesn't matter if all the other Ooh, it's a big members shout. of the team, yeah, because the squad's so big, isn't it? Whereas he's the irreplaceable one. I oh, okay. What about the the team that's going to be worst hit? Wolves, if Portugal go far. Well, Duncan's got some news for you, Lindsay. Duncan. <laughs> well, my my hot tip slash take is that Portsmouth, Portsmouth, no, not Portsmouth. <laughs> yeah, they're doing they separatist Portsmouth. Yeah. They're on island. But... <laughs> <laughs> now, my hot tip slash take is Portugal are going to be the, the big team that don't get through the groups in this World Cup. So, Why? Well, factors... you can find out next week when Duncan joins us for two very special World Cup previews. Mm. Special World Cup previews with special guests. That's all I'll say for now. I mean, I would just, I would just say on that, the thing, and this is a, a boring answer in a way, but Obviously, it's unprecedented, so we don't know. But also, players are affected by World Cups in different ways. So we've seen previously a player will win a World Cup and it will inspire them to come back better than ever to their clubs or they have this sort of hangover letdown. Ditto, we've seen players suffer heartbreak and they can't get over it or they rebound really strongly. And so 
we just don't know. I mean, I, I guess the only thing, the only sort of objective metric we have is you would think what would be bad news for your club is if your players play loads of games. Um, I guess that's sort of the assumption. Then you look at a team like Tottenham who have guys in there, you know, key players for England, Argentina, Brazil. Those are nations you'd expect to go pretty far. So, you know, I imagine there'll be some fairly anxious supporters from them. Duncan mentioned Arsenal there. They're in a similar sort of position. So I guess it's those teams. But it, it did just strike me yesterday thinking that, yeah, Liverpool, four out of their five attackers won't be at the World Cup. That's unusual for one of the big teams and that could benefit them. Mm. Well, they've certainly got a lot of ground to make up in this uh, Premier League campaign. All right. Speaking of Liverpool and Premier League campaign, they are up against Southampton in what is going to be, if he signs the, on the dotted line, the first game in charge for Nathan Jones. It's an interesting venue to start with, a trip to Anfield, although it went OK for Deserby with Brighton, of course. Saints have lost nine of the last ten meetings with Liverpool. The only exception being that 2021 victory, which saw Ralph Hasenhuttle sink to his knees and, uh, well, blub in very touching scenes. One, one thing is that Southampton haven't been spoken about as um, as having a goal-scoring problem. I haven't really seen that anywhere. And I think it does need broaching. The fact that Stuart Armstrong... Um, suddenly discovered a little bit more form, but he hasn't provided as many goals. Shea Adams hasn't. And I think if you take if you take James Ward-Prowse, his penalties and his free kicks out of that team, they're really in trouble. So I, I think Nathan Jones coming in is one thing. I think the January transfer window is going to be huge for All Southampton. Right. OK. Uh, Nottingham Forest beat Spurs this midweek in the League Cup. Talked about that before. They're unbeaten in the last three home matches, in fact. They're hosting Crystal Palace this weekend. They also saw Jesse Lingard in that Spurs game get his first goal. He hadn't scored or assisted for Nottingham Forest since his slightly contentious move uh, to the city ground back in the summer. But he scored midweek, ran and loaded with the other goal. It's the first Premier League meeting between Forest and Palace at the city ground since January 1995. Who can tell me what that? game back in January 1995 was significant for Forest Palace did you say Forest was, Palace w- were Palace just coming off the back of that Cantona game or it was just Ooh. before because it must be the same month mm. as yeah. the Cantona game I mean that's probably a better answer actually Charlie I was only going to mention the fact that they won 1-0 with Gary Bull scoring the only goal and that was his only appearance ever in the Premier mm. League and he scored the winner in it yeah he's got uh, one of the best goal scoring ratios in, in Premier League history <laughs> <laughs> um, he, Take that, Steve, Erling Haaland. Steve Ball's cousin, was he, I think? I don't I think. know. I literally I have no so. other inf- information about this game. Obviously, Steve Ball, a member of England's 1990 World Cup squad. So. It all yeah, comes I, together. I wouldn't really want to speculate about families because once I thought Craig Dawson and Michael Dawson were yeah. related. <laughs> and what? discovered they weren't. What? So yeah. I wouldn't want to speculate. But if, you, if you're telling me he's related to Steve Ball, then Yeah, he, I've just looked. He is the cousin of Steve Ball. Footballing DNA strong in that bloodline. Uh, West Ham-Leicester, what was this game last season best remembered for? The cardboard cutout. It was the cardboard cutout. Yes, the dancing. I was there. I was there for that. All right, Lindsay. Mm. Excellent. 
You know that that was pre-orchestrated. So in the warm-up, I saw that being delivered mm. to a member of staff and then pointing at it. I was like, what's going on? There's <laughs> something down there. And then, yes, the you wonder whether bubbles, celebration, as, dancing. As confident of scoring this season. Mm. Right. Pre-arrange. Well, his form this season, which is the cardboard cutout and which is the real mm. Mikel Antonio, you know, it's maybe the, the question. It's, it's been a desperate, desperate campaign. They're both for, static. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very there was a rumour, so. I don't know if you heard as well, that Aubameyang had a mask uh, ready to go uh, behind the goal at Stamford Bridge, which remained unused. What was on the mask? I don't know. He's, he's worn a number of them previously mm-hmm. after scoring. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but... Um, what would you put on a mask? Were you a Bumayang? <laughs> it's a big question. his face or something? I don't Pe- know. Pe- I mean, Pe- Guardiola. Would, have been... would yeah. it have been the first muted mask celebration? In the <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great contrast. Yeah, sort of like, no, 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 guys, guys. It's not, it's not <laughs> about me. It's, I, I can't do it. I, you know, it's, I, I love this, my former club. <laughs> don't put a mask on in a way. Mm. Uh, yeah, you've got to be really careful with that, haven't you? Because yeah. like with Antonio, if you don't then score, you're, you are setting yourself up. West Ham actually feel like a team who might do okay mm. from the World Cup. I don't feel like they'll have tons of players there, but they've got quite a few players who are at a level not far off it. And mm. they, they oh. might then benefit from having that time. Have West Ham ever done well from a World Cup before? Struggling Never heard that. I'm sure if they had, they wouldn't mention it. So, um... Lindsay, thank you for being with us today. Oh, I'm so sorry that it's Listen, No, that's fine. Start. Listen a little bit later on and you'll hear what the, the, the fellas say about Fulham Man United. You won't miss a thing. OK, thank you. Thanks, guys. No, thank you for being See with you, us. Indeed. Sorry about your day. <laughs> I know. It can only get better. Exactly. All right. Off she went. Man United playing uh, Aston Villa in the League Cup on Thursday night. Fulham, who got knocked out in the previous round of the competition. Will Mitrovic be playing? I mean, Serbia will be saying, please don't. But, mm. it could, I mean, obviously Mitrovic will face the likes of Casemiro and, and Fred and Anthony potentially in the group stage. So there's a... I also think it's quite nice that the... This half, it's not half, but this section of the Premier League season finishes at Craven Cottage. It's a, it's a, I think if you chose any ground, current Premier League ground, to finish off at, a nice Craven Cottage game against Man United feels like that's good. Why, Duncan? I don't know, it just feels, the, the vibes feel good. And, and there's been some quite memorable good games between these two at Craven Cottage. There was the... Mm. Papa Booba Diop, um, long range screamer. There was the Cristiano Ronaldo in you know, 607 when he kind of ran through. Yeah. And so this There was that one was... where, didn't was it Rooney and Scholes got sent off in 2009? Oh, yeah. Scholes, didn't he smack the ball at the ref or, or something? Yeah. I or... know Rooney hurled the ball back. That's uh, one of his right, bookings yeah. was for chucking the ball back. And it was when it looked like briefly United might wobble and Liverpool would steal in and win the league. And then Makeda happened. Yeah. Wow. Good times. I I stand corrected. You're right. It would be a lovely way to bookend (laughs) part one of the the Premier League campaign, as it will indeed bring to close today's Totally Football show. But you're right about the World Cup group. So Casemiro et al. facing Mitrovic, were that to happen this Sunday afternoon at 4.30, they could, you know, get in an early reducer, a really (laughs) early reducer for the group stages. These are the two teams who have had the most yellow cards in the Premier League this season. Although, 
As we mentioned, there may not be quite as many tackles this Sunday. Let's see. Well, that brings us uh, to the end of today's uh, Totally Football Show. It's been great fun, can I say, for, for me at this end. Hopefully for you as well, listener, it's been great fun chatting with Lindsay when she was around and Duncan and Charlie and a uh, lovely job by producer Charlie to put this all together. And thank you so much for listening. Listener. Uh, Duncan, I'll be seeing you next week for previews, World Cup ones. Charlie, what are you going to be up to? Well, I'm still a um, couple of months into my long paternity leave. Um, I can so, hear it going on. Yes, exactly. This live, live updates. So, yeah, pretty much off duty, apart from the odd totally and the odd cliches European tour. You're going to be where? Manchester and Dublin next week? Yes, yes. Are tickets know. still available? They are. London uh, was all sold out very quickly. Manchester of and Dublin, there are, there are a handful, a few handfuls available uh, for those two shows. If you're in the Manchester or Dublin area Tuesday or Wednesday and fancy a bit of football cliches banter with singing, that's probably the best place to head. Uh, thank you to you both for being with us today and we'll be back on Monday for a regular Totally Football show before the previews kick in. So do join us then. Have a great time. In the meantime, everyone, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.